Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 227. Today's big Bible question, does God still move in the darkest of times, or is he hiding? Well, hello, friends. Happy Monday to you. We've got six whole chapters to read through today, so I'd kind of better skip over the lame intros and hit the ground running, which, as an extreme night owl, I gotta say, I almost never hit the ground running in the morning, so kudos to you morning people, because I basically flop out of the bed and take a couple hours just to wake up. Our Bible passages for the day are Ruth chapter 3 and 4, Psalm chapter 11 and 12, Jeremiah 38, which sees poor Jeremiah tossed into a cistern, gracious, and Acts 28. And now, as promised for the day, it's time to focus on the book of Ruth, which is, as I said earlier, the first book of the Bible I ever read from beginning to end. Now, I can't remember all those years ago when I was an eight-year-old, I guess, my reaction to the book, uh, reading it. But I can tell you that there are some customs in the book of Ruth that sure seem weird to me as an adult American living in 2020. I suspect I was probably blown away with those things when I was a kid. Now, we could spend a lot of time discussing those customs and what they meant in that culture, but honestly, I don't know that that would be time well spent to do that. Human customs come and go, and that's great. I'm sure we have weird customs now that will seem very odd to people living 50 or 100 years from now, if the Lord tarries, but so be it. In some ways, we are all a product of our time and culture. For instance, I wore pants made out of parachute material in the 1980s, and in the 70s, I used to put a penny in a slot on top of my brown dress shoes when I was a very, very young guy. So who am I to judge? A courtship ceremony that involves laying down next to a sleeping man and uncovering his feet. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and judge it. That is weird. That is such a weird thing. What are you thinking, my old school Hebrew friends? Well, anyway, Ruth is not a book about strange courtship customs that are foreign to us. It's not a book that is about the endearing friendship between a mom and her daughter-in-law either though that is certainly the backdrop of the story. Ruth, at its core, is a book about the goodness of God and the unfolding of his sovereign plan in the darkest and and, and dankest of times. Think about the setting of Ruth during the period of the book of Judges, which is a book we just read. It's almost painful to read in some places. There's so much sin and apostasy and just awful wicked things in it. Not only that, but think about the individual story we're reading. Naomi is really the star of Ruth, and she sort of, at the beginning, loses her husband and her two sons, leaving her lonely, devastated, and just completely embittered. So what is God doing in the midst of all of this tragedy and darkness? Well, he's only saving the world for all of eternity. So let's listen to John Piper on God's sovereign purpose in the darkest of times as we see in the book of Ruth. Now, as you listen to this, perhaps let it lead you to ponder what God might be doing right now in the midst of our dark pandemic times. So Piper says this, according to Ruth 1.1, the story took place during the time of the judges. This was a 400-year period after Israel entered the promised land under Joshua and before there were any kings in Israel, so roughly 1500 to 1100 B.C., The book of Judges comes just before Ruth in our English Bibles, and you can see from its very last verse what sort of period it was. In the Judges 21-25, it says, 
In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. It was a very dark time in Israel. The people would sin. God would send enemies against them. The people would cry for help, and God would mercifully raise up a judge to deliver them. Again and again, the people rebelled, and from all outward appearances, God's purposes for righteousness and glory in Israel were failing. And what the book of Ruth does for us is give us a glimpse of the hidden work of God during the absolute worst of times. Look at the last verse of Ruth 4.22. The child born to Ruth and Boaz during the period of the judges is Obed. Obed becomes the father of Jesse, and Jesse becomes the father of David, who led Israel to her greatest heights of glory. One of the main messages of this little book is that God is at work in the worst of times. Even through the sins of his people, he can and does plot for their glory. It was true at the national level, and we will see that it is true at the personal and family level too. God is always at work in the worst of times. When you think he is farthest from you or has even turned against you, the truth is he is laying foundation stones of greater happiness in your life. And Piper here quotes a poem, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Piper says, I think that's the message of Ruth. And I agree. I think the message of Ruth is that God is always on the move, doing wonderful things, working all things together for the good of those who know him and are called according to his purpose, even in the darkest of times. So let's go read the last two chapters of Ruth, and then we're going to come back and hear a little bit from Spurgeon on Ruth. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. And Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there, laying at his feet, was a woman. So he asked, Who are you? <laughs> I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, Bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, What happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her, and she said, He gave me these six measures of barley, because he said, 
Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, My daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. Ruth chapter 4 verse 1. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by, and Boaz said, Come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, Sit here. And they sat down. He said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Then Boaz said, On the day that you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, Uh, I can't redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right to redemption because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the Redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, Buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. And all the people who were at the city gate, included the elder, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah and your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah, because the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became a mother to him. The neighbor women said, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. How about that? One more thing. Did you notice there that the book of Ruth was set in Bethlehem? That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Considering that, of course, that's where Jesus was born. So here's Charles Spurgeon on the connection between Ruth and Naomi and Jesus. Spurgeon says, It seemed necessary that Christ should be born in Bethlehem because of Bethlehem's history. Dear to every Israelite was the little village of Bethlehem. Jerusalem might outshine it in splendor, for there stood the temple, the glory of the whole earth, and yet around Bethlehem there clustered a number of incidents which always made it a pleasant resting place to every Jewish mind, and even the Christian cannot help but love Bethlehem. 
The first mention, I think, says Spurgeon, that we have of Bethlehem is a sorrowful one. There Rachel died, the wife of Jacob. If you turn to the 35th of Genesis, you will find it in the 16th verse. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to Ephrathah. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Ani, which means son of my distress, by the way. But his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrathath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. A singular incident this, says Spurgeon, almost prophetic. Might not Mary have called her own son Jesus her Benani, for he was to be the child of sorrow. Simeon said to her, Yea, a sword shall pierce through your soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. But while she might have called him Ben-Ani, what did did God his father call him? Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Ben-Ani was he as a man, Benjamin as to his Godhead. This little incident seems to be almost a prophecy that Ben-Ani, Benjamin, the Lord Jesus, should be born in Bethlehem. But another woman makes this place celebrated too, and that woman's name was Naomi. There lived at Bethlehem in after days when perhaps the stone that Jacob's fondness had raised had been covered with moss and its inscription obliterated another woman named Naomi. She too was a daughter of joy and yet a daughter of bitterness. Naomi was a woman whom the Lord had loved and blessed, but she had to go to a strange land and she said, Call me not Naomi, which means pleasant, but call my name Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. But she was not alone amid all her losses, for there stuck unto her, cleaved unto her, Ruth the Moabitess, whose Gentile blood should unite with the pure, untainted stream of Jewish blood, and should thus bring forth the Lord our Savior, the great King both of Jews and Gentiles. That very beautiful book of Ruth had all its scenery laid in Bethlehem, It was at Bethlehem that Ruth went forth to glean in the fields of Boaz. It was there that Boaz looked upon her, and she bowed herself before her Lord. It was there her marriage was celebrated, and in the streets of Bethlehem did Boaz and Ruth receive a blessing which made them fruitful, so that Boaz became the father of Obed, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. That last fact gilds Bethlehem with glory, the fact that David was born there. The mighty hero who smote the Philistine giant, who led the discontented of his land away from the tyranny of their monarch, and who afterwards, by full consent of a willing people, was crowned king of Israel and Judah. Bethlehem was a royal city, because the kings were there brought forth. Little as Bethlehem was, it was much to be esteemed, because it was like certain principalities we have in Europe, says Spurgeon which are celebrated for nothing but for bringing forth the consorts of the royal family of England. It was right then from history that Bethlehem should be the birthplace of Christ. Amen. Well, let's keep on reading, and we will go to Jeremiah chapter 38. Now, Shephatiah, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pashur, Jukol, son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, son of Malchajai, heard the words Jeremiah was speaking to all the people. This is what the Lord says, whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, and plague, but whoever surrenders to the Chaldeans will live. 
He will retain his life like the spoils of war and will live. This is what the Lord says. This this city will most certainly be handed over to the king of Babylon's army and he will capture it. The officials then said to the king, This man ought to die because he's weakening the morale of the warriors who remain in this city and of all the people by speaking to them in this way. This man is not pursuing the welfare of this people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, Here he is. He's in your hands since the king can't do anything against you. So they took Jeremiah and dropped him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the guard's courtyard, lowering Jeremiah with ropes. There was no water in the cistern, only mud, and Jeremiah sank in the mud. But Ebed-Melech, a Cushite court official in the king's palace, heard Jeremiah had been put into the cistern. While the king was sitting at the Benjamin gate, Ebed-Melech went from the king's palace and spoke to the king. My lord the king, these men have been evil in all they've done to the prophet Jeremiah. They've dropped him into the cistern where he will die from hunger because there's no more bread in the city. So the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Cushite, Take from here thirty men under your authority and pull the prophet Jeremiah up from the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men under his authority and went to the king's palace to a place below the storehouse. From there he took old rags and worn-out clothes and lowered them by ropes to Jeremiah in the cistern. Ebed-Melech the Cushite called down to Jeremiah, Place these old rags and clothes between your armpits and the ropes. Jeremiah did this, and they pulled him up with the ropes and lifted him up out of the cistern, but he remained in the guard's courtyard. King Zedekiah sent for the prophet Jeremiah and received him at the third instance of the Lord's temple. The king said to Jeremiah, I'm going to ask you something. Don't hide anything from me. Jeremiah replied to Zedekiah, If I tell you, you will kill me, won't you? Besides, if I give you advice, you won't listen to me anyway. King Zedekiah swore to Jeremiah in private, As the Lord lives, who has given us this life, I will not kill you or hand you over to these men who intend to take your life. Jeremiah therefore said to Zedekiah, This is what the Lord, the God of armies, the God of Israel, says. If indeed you surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then you will live. This city will not be burned and you and your household will survive. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city will be handed over to the Chaldeans. They will burn it and you yourself will not escape from them. But King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am worried about the Judeans who have defected to the Chaldeans. They may hand me over to the Judeans to abuse me. They will not hand you over, Jeremiah replied. Obey the Lord in what I am telling you, so it may go well for you and you can live. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the verdict that the Lord has shown me. All the women who remain in the palace of Judah's king will be brought out to the officials of the king of Babylon and will say to you, Your trusted friends misled you and overcame you. Your feet sank into the mire and they deserted you. All your wives and children will be brought out to the Chaldeans. You yourself will not escape from them, for you will be seized by the king of Babylon and this city will burn. Then Zedekiah warned Jeremiah, Don't let anyone know about this conversation or you will die. The officials may hear that I have spoken with you and come and demand of you. Tell us what you said to the king. Don't hide anything from us and we won't kill you. Also, what did the king say to you? If they do, tell them I was bringing before the king my petition that he not return me to the house of Jonathan to die there. All the officials did come to Jeremiah, and they questioned him, and he reported the exact words to them the king had commanded, and they quit speaking with him because the conversation had not been overheard. 
Jeremiah remained in the guard's courtyard until the day Jerusalem was captured, and he was there when it happened. Psalm chapter 11, verse 1. I have taken refuge in the Lord. How can you say to me, escape to the mountains like a bird? For look, the wicked strings bows. They put their arrows on bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his throne is in heaven. His eyes watch. His gaze examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous, but he hates the wicked and those who love violence. Let him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. Psalm chapter 12, verse 1. Help, Lord, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. They say through our tongues we have power. Our lips are our own. Who can be our master? Because of the devastation of the needy and the groaning of the poor, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will provide safety for the one who longs for it. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times. You, Lord, will guard us. You will protect us from this generation forever. The wicked prowl all around, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. Acts chapter 28, verse 1. Once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his head, hand, they said to one another, This man, no doubt, is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to, begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead, and after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now in that area or in that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him, and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered on the island, with the twin gods at its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Petuli. Patioli. There we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them, and so we came to Rome. Now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the Forum of Appius in the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me, since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. 
For this reason I have asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Then they said to him, We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of you, the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, Go to these people and say, You will always be listening but never understanding, and you will always be looking but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they may see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. Well, friends, may you and I, with all boldness and without hindrance, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Good day to you and Godspeed.